1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sakah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sakah and Azekah, and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spears had weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite, of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons, in the days of Saul the man who was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadad, and the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephath of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines, and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. 
Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. 
When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way for Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehem. Welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here with us, whether you're here in the room with me in the West service, watching over in the East service, or watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us. I am very excited to dive into this story. It's an amazing story. I mean, it is one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, maybe one of the most famous stories in all of the world. I mean, David and Goliath is a name that has become synonymous with underdog stories. And who doesn't love an underdog story? It reminds me of uh, when Appalachian State beat Michigan. Or nowadays, if Michigan were to beat Appalachian State, real underdog story. And who doesn't love that, right? So I can't wait to get into this. But before we do, I also want to tell you about something that's coming up that I'm excited about. And that is an event we're having this August 11th. We're calling it Considering Jesus. Uh, this Considering Jesus event is, is an opportunity for you to grow in your faith and for you to bring someone who is in your social circle and your family and your, at your workplace that is not a Christian and let them be exposed to the gospel. We're bringing in a speaker, Scott Sauls. He's a pastor from Nashville. He's a terrific pastor, a great writer. We, we commend his, his work to you. Uh, but we're bringing him in, and he is going to be talking about his book, A Gentle Answer. And he's particularly going to be talking about how the gospel is a unique, provides unique hope to us in this polarized time. I think we all feel that the world is becoming more and more divided. We're, we're dividing ourselves into red states and blue states, Republicans, Democrats. Do you wear a mask? Do you not? Are you vaccinated? Are you not? And if you're tired of that, we want you to know that the gospel has a way out of that. Scott's going to be talking about that. This will be helpful for Christians and non-Christians alike. I call it a come with me event. I want you to come and I want you to bring people with you. If you want more information about considering Jesus, you can get that in the next steps area. You can scan the QR code on your pew or in the back of East Hall, or you can click on the information below me if you're watching online. Hope to see you there. I'm very excited about that. But I am also excited about the story this morning. And in fact, I want to hold out to you three points I'm going to use by way of an outline to help us navigate the story. You can write these down if you're a note taker. Otherwise, just have them in your head. Three points, and they go like this. I want to talk about the life of fear, the life of faith, and how you go from one to the other. Okay, the life of fear, the life of faith, and how you move from one to the other. 
Let's start with the first point, the life of fear. You know, this story is called David and Goliath. And the reason for that is because those are the two main characters. I mean, after all, the story, kind of the climactic scene in the story is a battle between David and Goliath. But that does not mean they are the only two significant characters in the story. In fact, there's a third character who's really significant, and if you miss him, if you don't see him, don't give enough attention to him, I think you end up missing what this story is really all about. And that third character is a character named Saul. Let me tell you about Saul. At this time in Israel's life, Saul is the king And in fact, he is a kingly kind of king. I mean, you would pick him out of a crowd to be king. If he were in a movie, he would be played by an A-list actor that you know who's very handsome. In fact, if you read 1 Samuel chapter 9, when Saul was chosen to be king, we're told a couple of things about him. He was from a wealthy family, so well, you know, kind of well-bred, best schools, best, best clothes, all of that. He is incredibly handsome, and he is taller than all the other Israelites. He is, in fact, the text says he is head and shoulders above them. So he is a big, handsome, wealthy guy. He is exactly what you think of when you think of a king. And, and he's good at being king. Okay. They, Israel with him as king wins a lot of battles. In fact, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open it to first Samuel 17. And on the way there, stop at first Samuel uh, 14. And if you read this verse with me, first Samuel chapter 14, verse 47, listen to Saul's resume. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Saul is a big, strong, wealthy, handsome king who never loses. That's who Saul is. And in fact, he has already beaten the Philistines. They have fought before. He, he knows how to beat them. So in this story, when the Philistines invade Israel's territory, Saul immediately, you can see this in verse 2, he immediately rallies the troops and they line up for battle. And you can almost feel Saul kind of yawning and saying, here we go again. Those pesky Philistines got to put them in their place again. Saul is ready. He's done this. He has won this. He is the right guy in the right place at the right time. And everybody lines up for Israel, confident that they're going to win because they have Saul. But this time, when the Philistines show up, they're not in their just usual Philistine assembly. They have brought someone, a champion named Goliath. And he's huge. I mean, he is massive. And depending on which scholar you listen to and how to understand ancient use units of measurement, he is somewhere between 6'9 and 9'6, which I realize is a considerable range. Let's just say he's tall, okay? He's really tall. By the way, by the way, let me just say this. 
If you're not a Christian, or, or if you're a young person who struggles with confidence in the Bible, and you think, oh, here we go, a giant in the Bible, and you know, that's why you can't believe the Bible, did you know, did you know, in 1940, there was a man in Illinois, okay, 1940, died in July of 1940, who when he died was eight foot 11 inches. He wore a size 37 shoe. The casket they buried him in weighed over a thousand pounds, and it took 20 people to carry it. Now, if I told you that story, you would roll your eyes and say you made that up. But I didn't. In fact, I got it from the most reputable source you can get it, Wikipedia. It's solid, okay, it's solid. My point is, it doesn't happen very often, but every now and then there's a guy who is abnormally large, and that's Goliath. His armor weighs over 125 pounds. The tip of his spear alone is over 20 pounds. And Goliath is a champion. That word in the original language means a man between two camps. In other words, what Goliath does is when he goes to battle, he says, listen, we don't all need to fight and we don't all need to die. I will come out to the middle of the battlefield. You send your best guy and I'll fight him and, and, and he'll fight me. I'll fight on behalf of my army. He'll fight on behalf of his. And if I win, then we win and you guys get to be our slaves, but you don't have to die. Or if he wins, uh, they'll be your slaves and, and they don't have to die. It's a pretty ingenious idea. One for one instead of two whole armies fighting. And so Goliath comes out and he says, who will face me? And nobody moves. Now, he does this for 40 days, morning and evening. This is psychological warfare. Goliath steps out into the battlefield, all of his armor, his spear, his shield bearer, and he says, who will fight me? Surely you have someone to fight me. Who is your champion? And here's the thing. Israel has a champion. His name is Saul. They got a guy named Saul. Saul is their champion. Saul is the guy who should step up. In fact, I'm convinced that's why the writer tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that Saul is tall. Why does it matter that Saul is tall? Why does it matter that I know that he towers over every other Israelite? He could be short. doesn't matter. You could be a good king and be short. The reason why I know that he's tall is because in 1 Samuel 17, when Goliath steps out and goes, who's going to fight me? There's a bunch of Israelites, and there's one really tall guy, and everybody just kind of goes. <laughs> now, unless you think um, uh, that's just me using my imagination, that is all over this passage. Let me show you. So if you have a Bible, 1 Samuel 17, let me just show you how many times the writer makes it clear that Saul should be the one fighting Goliath. Look at what he says. Chapter 17, verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered. Do you see how he separates them? Saul and the men of Israel. Goliath, in verse 8, challenges them, and he calls out Saul. Listen to what he says. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? In verse 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In verse 12, the whole time period is referred to as the days of Saul. In another verse, we're told that David's brothers are there to fight. And why are they there? Verse 13, the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. 
Verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah. So you see what's happening is the writer is saying implicitly, and he's practically screaming, Saul is the guy who should be fighting. Saul is the king. He's the champion. He's their biggest guy. I don't know if he's eyeball to eyeball to Goliath, but, but he's close. He is a champion. Saul, go fight him. Saul, step out there. Saul, you're the king. Step up. And yet in the biggest moment of Saul's life, he chokes. Why? Now, I think this question is really important to understand this story. I really do. I think it's the key to understanding this story. But I also think it's key for us because here's what I think. If Saul were to live in Northeast Ohio, he would live in an east side suburb. He's from a wealthy family. He's well-educated. He's handsome. He's successful. Probably good at golf. <laughs> Saul is like so many of us here in the room. Why? So many of you here in the room, Saul is like you. He has a great resume. He has a great track record of victory in battle. So why doesn't he come through? Well, we're not told exactly, but what's clear is Saul does not believe he can defeat Goliath. There could be a lot of reasons for that. Saul could win battles through strategy. He's, he, he, he's not on the front line. He's the guy coming up with maneuvers. And, and so the challenge to face Goliath is outside of his comfort zone. It, it could be that Saul has never fought one-on-one -on -one with somebody. He, he's always fought in the throes of battle and he's got his best guys around him. And the idea of facing Goliath one-on-one -on -one is just too much. It could be the pressure. Because after all, if you lose to Goliath, you don't just die. Your legacy becomes you are the reason why Israel is in slavery. When someone says, remember Saul, they're not going to say, boy, he was so handsome. He was so tall. He was such a good king. They're going to say, how could I forget Saul? Saul is the reason we're slaves. There's a lot of pressure. For any of those reasons, for all of those reasons, Saul does not step up. What happens to Saul is simply this. Goliath steps out into the battlefield, and when he issues a challenge, he's not issuing it to all of Israel. He's issuing it to Saul. And he and Saul, the world zooms in to Saul and Goliath. And Saul, all he can see is him and his problem, him and his enemy, him and Goliath. And he knows deep down, I cannot win. And tell me you can't resonate with that. Because I don't care what school you went to or how handsome you are or how much money you have or the family you grew up in or your resume. It is inevitable that we will run into something that will be too big for us. It is inevitable that we will find ourselves looking at an enemy that simply cannot be defeated by us. And the result of that is the rest of the world will be gone to us. It'll be us and our problem, us and our conflict, us and the marriage we can't save, us and the rebellious teenager we can't control, us and the disease we can't overcome, us and the bill that we can't pay. We will at some point in our lives be eyeball to eyeball 
wall with an enemy that metaphorically steps out and says, let me see what you got. And we know deep down, we do not have the answer. That is why, by the way, we are wealthier than we've ever been. We are more comfortable than we've ever been. And we are more anxious than we've ever been. Because we live in a culture that says, you must take care of you. And in a lot of battles, that works. But inevitably, we find ourselves in one where it does not. And in that moment, we are crippled by fear. We are paralyzed by anxiety. I know that's where some of you are right now. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's how you know you're there because you say things like, what will I do? How will I solve this? How will I fix this? What plan do I have? What strategy do I have? And you will know you don't. And then here's the thing. Some of you are going into companies tomorrow where everyone else who works there expects you to have the answer. You're going to family dinner tonight and everyone is going to look to you to be the one who puts it back together. Your children are looking to you. So just as the Israelites were looking at Saul, you will feel the eyeballs on you and yet you will know, I cannot win. There will be nothing for you but the problem in front of you that is too big for you to face. That's the life of fear. It's a life, I think, if we're honest, even with all of our East Side credentials. It's a problem we know really, really well. But that leads me to my second point, which is to say there's a life that's opposite of that, and that is the life of faith. Forty days, Goliath comes out and talks trash. Forty days, morning and evening. Who will face me? Saul, Saul. I saw you can't hide. You're like six foot five. I see you, Saul. Every day. David shows up. He hears Goliath one time. One time. In fact, the text says it this way, and David heard him. And if you know the rest of the story, you go, "Uh uh-oh. One time David hears him. And David just decides, no, 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 no. No, 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 this is not going to happen. I will face Goliath. I will be the champion. I will be the man between Israel and its enemy. I will go. But I want you to see that David does that because he does not think ultimately he's the champion. I think if David were here and we said, oh, David, I love your story, David and Goliath, David would reject that title. Because every time in this story, he puts the emphasis not on him, but on God. In other words, if Saul's fear causes him to zoom in, where all that is true in the world is his problem and him, David's faith causes him to zoom out. And David says, hold on a second, look at what he says. Let me show you over and over again. Verse 26, look at what David says. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 36, David says, Uh, Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Even when David faces Goliath and Goliath says, "What what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? Listen to what David says in verse 45. 
You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Do you see, at every turn, David says, it's not, it's not Philistines versus Israel. It's not Goliath versus Israel. It's not Goliath versus versus Saul. It's not David versus Goliath. It is God versus Goliath. That's what David's saying. And you know why? He's zooming out and saying, don't you guys know the story? I mean, do you, do you think that God made a promise to Abraham and that that promise is going to end at Goliath? Do, do you remember that God took down Pharaoh? You ever heard of him? Do you remember when, when we were at the Red Sea and, and God split it? Let me ask you a question. What's harder, to split a sea or to split this guy's forehead? Do you remember Jericho when we marched down and played some jazz music and the walls came down? It's like, what's harder, that or, or, or this big guy falling? See, David is saying, it's not Saul versus Goliath. It's not David versus Goliath. David says, let's zoom out for a minute. There's a big story happening here. God has a plan. God has made promises and God intends to keep them. And I don't care if this guy's six foot nine or nine foot six or 20 foot three, he's not going to stop the plan of God. So I'll fight him because God won't lose. Do you see that? Listen, you got to get this because fear, what fear does is it shrinks the world down to where all that exists is you and your problem. That's why you toss and turn at night because you can't solve it. But what faith does is zoom out and say, wait a minute. This is not the first time a person has encountered this problem. This is not new to God. God has a plan. God has made promises. God is doing something. And this is not going to stop him. That's why, by the way, David calls Goliath uncircumcised. Because circumcision was the sign that Israel belonged to, the, to God, that they were the people of his promise. David is saying, I don't care how big this guy is, the promises of God do not belong to him. They belong to us. And David says, when I zoom out and I see that it's Goliath versus David and God, I like my chances. The life of fear zooms in. The life of faith zooms out. Let me ask you, how wide is your lens right now? Well, that brings me to my third point, which is to say, how do you go from fear to faith? How do you make that move? How do you do that? Well, here's the thing. Saul never changes. In just a few verses, his fear will turn into envy and jealousy and bitterness. It'll ruin his life. David in 1 Samuel 17 never changes. He shows up with faith. He wins in faith. He has victory in faith. So I have a hard time resonating with David because I feel like Saul. So my question is, how do you go from Saul to David? Well, there are characters in the story who change. Do you, do you see them? It's not Saul and it's not David. It's the army of Israel. They go from 40 days of Goliath talking trash to them morning and evening and, and them getting so terrified eventually that even when he comes out, they just run away. To all of a sudden, look what happens. 
I love this verse. Look what happens in verse uh, 52. David is holding Goliath's head. And and, in verse 52, it says, And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. They end up going all the way to Goliath's hometown and winning. They changed. They went from cowards to men of courage. What happened? Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Do you know in this passage, David never sees himself as an example. He never says to Israel, do what I do. Follow me. Let's all go fight Goliath. He never says, everyone take your sling, do it like this, you over there, a little little more of an angle, get your elbow up. He never does that. David doesn't, he's not out to be an example. Do you know what he's out to be? He's out to prove that God is for them. Look at what he says when he faces Goliath. He says, verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. And listen to what he says, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you in your hand. Do you see what he says? He says, I've stepped out to face you, Goliath, because I know God has a plan and God has made promises and God keeps them. But I've also stepped out so that the people of God behind me who are watching me will know. David's not an example. He's out to prove. Watch me, Israel. Watch me. And when he kills Goliath and he holds up the head of Goliath, what he is saying to Israel is, is this what you were afraid of? I have to be careful here because I could get pretty excited. That's what he's saying. Is this the big bad Goliath you're afraid of? Here's his head. Look at this. And Israel goes, oh my goodness. And they charge. Because if if there's no Goliath, what is there left to fear? Listen, friends. In this way, David points us forward to Jesus. Because Jesus is not an example for us to emulate. Jesus is a champion who came to earth and said to us, watch this, watch this. God has a plan. God has made promises. And he looked out across the battlefield at our enemies. Not, not we have lots of enemies, not, not our little e enemies of, of bills we can't pay or, or marriages that are struggling or children that are rebellious or companies that are not doing well, but our big e enemy of death and sin. And Jesus said to us, watch, I'm going to do this so that you know that God never loses and that God is for you and that you are God's people. And he goes to the cross, which is a weird way to fight, just like it was weird to fight Goliath with a sling. And he dies and he raises from the dead and he grabs the head of sin and death and the devil. And he says to us, is this what you were afraid of? You see, the life of faith, you move from a life of fear to a life of faith, not by saying to yourself, I need to be a champion. The lie of our culture is that self-talk and self-esteem will lead you to win your battles. It will not. Inevitably, you will come up against an enemy you cannot face, even if that enemy is death. The way to move to faith is to zoom out and to see that the story of Jesus is your story. That the enemy that's in front of you is not any bigger than the enemy of death and the enemy of sin, and Jesus already has that enemy's head. So therefore, who can stand against you? 
Friends, in your struggles, in your crisis, in your problem, in, in, in your marriages, with your children, in your companies, you are not alone. The culture may tell you, step out into the middle. We're all watching you. Don't fail. But even if you stepped out into the middle, Jesus would say, where you been? I've been here. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is the one who goes out in front of us. Jesus is the one who slays our enemy, sin and death, and invites us now in great courage to, to run forward. So there are two ways of living. That's really what I'm saying. The one way is that you are the hero. And as you're building your resume, that will feel so good to you. When you face Goliath, it won't. The other way of living is to say, I am not the hero. There is already a hero, and his name is Jesus. Friends, in your problem, in your anxiety, in your stress, in your crisis, in your conflict, zoom out and see that there is a God who has a plan, who loves you, who's proven that in Christ, who's given you a champion, who goes ahead of you. He will not abandon you. He does not lose. He never fails. He always keeps his promises. It is never just you and what's in front of you. He always fights in front of us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much in a, in a world of people and institutions that tell us to be the hero, to step up, to make something of ourselves, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that God helps those who help themselves. That's a message that experience tells us will crush us. But thank you that that is not the message you have given us, but that you have sent your only son on our behalf to leave us as we stand quaking in our armor, to face our enemies' sin and death on the cross, to defeat them in raising from the dead, to hold their head in front of us and invite us to run behind him because he never loses. God, help us. Help us to abdicate the role of hero and to give it to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.